This is Lock and Code, a Mauerbytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Mauerbytes Labs, our researchers discovered a large uptick in malware campaigns relying on the coronavirus pandemic as a lure. We spotted a more than 200% detection increase for one backdoor information stealer earlier this year, and a 110% detection increase for a remote access Trojan from just February to March. The malware types being used date back several years, and the tactics date back even further. Taking advantage of crisis and confusion is the oldest trick in the cybercriminal book. So really, cybercriminals should be ashamed. Such reductive work. We also provided a deep dive into the history of console video game hacking. Unlike PCs, video game consoles come in single architectures with limited functionalities, making it harder to hack into games developed for them. So for decades, hackers turned to what they could manipulate, save data. Now, some gamers are trying to alter save data for Animal Crossing for the Nintendo Switch, one of the year's most popular titles. You see, the desired hacks help players generate more money to purchase more items to decorate their game islands while also simultaneously paying off debt to a ruthless capitalist raccoon. Why are you all playing this? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm just getting word. It is very cute. Back in the real world, we informed teachers how to securely transition to teaching from home, which could become part of their new normal. Teachers should protect their devices from unauthorized access, try to get a separate devoted workspace in their home, and protect their computers and home networks with strong passwords. As to how to maintain 30 students' attention on small screens across hours of instruction, we wish you good luck. I can barely make it through a one-hour meeting these days. Our threat intelligence team identified an attack they believe is part of a new campaign from Higaisa, which is an advanced persistent threat actor allegedly tied to North Korea. The campaign involves a multi-stage attack that includes several malicious scripts, payloads, and decoy PDF documents. Because a server involved in the campaign was down, we could not discern the ultimate goal of the attack. But I'm sure it's fine. It's fine, folks. It's not fine. Finally, we reported on the Sodinokibi ransomware group's latest tactic. Not only do these threat actors steal sensitive data and threaten to publish it online, they now built a website to auction that data. Think of it like eBay, but on this site, you know everything's stolen. In cybersecurity news across the world, TechSpot wrote that Apple paid a whopping $100,000 to a bug bounty hunter who discovered a zero-day exploit in the company's sign-in-with-Apple single sign-on feature. The payment will likely convince countless teens to drop out of college and devote their entire lives to bug bounty hunting. Bleeping Computer told readers that threat actors launched a clever phishing campaign against companies that use e-exchange telephone systems, sending fraudulent voicemail notifications through cleverly disguised emails. You have one new message. Give us your username and password. An Ermetic survey found that a stunning 80% of organizations suffered a cloud data breach in the past 18 months, while 43% of companies suffered 10 or more 
cloud data breaches in the same time period. At those numbers, let's just assume you've suffered a breach. Or 10. Reuters reported that Mongolian police arrested 800 Chinese citizens as part of an investigation into a cybercrime ring. The head of the General Intelligence Agency of Mongolia said the arrestees were allegedly involved in illegal gambling, fraud, computer hacking, identity theft, and money laundering. I can't tell if that's serious or just one wild night. A little blackjack, a little cheating at blackjack, a little lying to your spouse about all that money made cheating at blackjack. And finally, according to BGR, Minnesota police claim to use contact tracing to investigate individuals protesting the killing of George Floyd in the U.S. by a police officer. On May 30th, Minnesota Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington said, As we've begun making arrests, we have begun analyzing the data of who we have arrested, and begun actually doing what you would think as almost pretty similar to our COVID. It's contact tracing. Who are they associated with? What platforms are they advocating for? Here's the thing, that isn't contact tracing. Contact tracing is devoted to tracking the spread of a contagious illness. It is an investigation into public health. What the Minnesota commissioner is describing is police interrogation. When those two things are blurred, as CNET reported, the public could grow weary and avoid contact tracing performed by medical professionals. A global pandemic seems like a terrible time to sow that kind of doubt. Our main story today concerns working from home. With shelter-in-place orders now in full effect to prevent the spread of coronavirus, countless businesses find themselves this year in mandatory work-from-home situations. This process wasn't easy. Companies likely had days, not months or even weeks, to transition to a remote model for their workforce. There was no luxury of drafting, planning, reviewing, or testing remote work policies. Instead, there was near-immediate deployment. It's a hurdle we know well. At Malwarebytes, before California implemented its shelter-in-place order, we scheduled a brief remote work test. It was simple. We'd do a dry run to see if we could support a 100% remote workforce for one to two days. Those days turned into months. And in those months, for businesses everywhere, threat actors found new opportunities. Right now, coronavirus is one of the most popular lures to infect and harm people's machines. Hackers who impersonate the World Health Organization are sending malicious attachments through emails. Old, known malware is seeing a resurgence delivered through bogus claims of coronavirus cures and health tips. And the dramatic, rapid shift to working from home means a lot more work machines are connected to the internet through personal home routers, some of which may lack strong cybersecurity protections. On today's episode, we're going to go beyond talking about threats. We're going to have a dialogue. First, what types of malware and attack methods are we seeing? And then, how has Malwarebytes responded? We want to give you an inside look, because even though we're a cybersecurity company, staying cybersecure goes beyond malware detection. It reaches into educating your employees and implementing proper policies to protect your company. To break down today's enterprise threats and our own responses, we're talking today to John Donovan, head of security for Malwarebytes, and Adam Kojawa, director for Malwarebytes Labs. John, Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, David. So to help our listeners understand your folks' roles, John, can you tell us what you do? Absolutely. And and thanks, David. So I'm John Donovan. I'm the head of security here for Malwarebytes, which means that my focus is primarily internal on our security program. I'm a practitioner. 
and you know, of course, use Malwarebytes, our own products, to help secure our environment. But I am responsible for security, both for our corporate environments, working with our engineering teams and product teams to make sure that we have the right type of security testing and practices in our product development and delivery, as well as doing things like my team administers our bug bounty for outside researchers that help us find security issues and, and vulnerabilities so that we can make our products better as well as working with some other folks like my partner here, Adam, who's in the Malwarebytes Lab area. Yeah, thanks, John. I'm Adam Gujawa, and, and yeah, Security Evangelist, Director of Malwarebytes Labs. Been at this for a very long time. It's been over 15 years now, I think, with over eight years at Malwarebytes. But my role primarily is, is in understanding the threats that are out there, tracking our, our detections through our telemetry, trying to convert the, the more technical complicated topics and subjects that we cover on the blog or cover just in general is dealing with cybersecurity into something that it's easier for a lot of folks to understand. So that's a lot of my my efforts these days is trying to bridge that gap. Let's get right into it, right? We've covered a variety of malware threats here at Malwarebytes. And actually, we put out a special CTNT report on some of those threats just last week. Something I noticed was that coronavirus has become sort of the de facto lure for phishing campaigns. Can you folks tell us a little bit about what you've seen with these types of phishing campaigns and also what we're doing here to combat these threats? Yeah, so the phishing campaigns we've seen that use COVID-19 as a theme have been numerous. And this isn't necessarily a new thing either. Every time there's a huge event or a rise in something like Bitcoin or a massive tragedy like the Boston bombing a few years ago, cyber criminals take the advantage, they take the the opportunity to go after people utilizing these themes of either personal tragedy or personal gain or something like that to get people to do stuff. And so we've seen a lot of that going on with COVID-19 theme threats these days. A lot of them start out kind of just as, hey, here's some information, here's a booklet, here's data about your local potential infections, things like that. And those are kind of the run-of-the-mill regular stuff you see going against consumers from cyber criminals. But We've also seen more sophisticated campaigns, ones that pretend they're from a certain, like a ventilator dealer or from some organizational unit that has medical equipment or or medical capabilities or financial stake in something that is attempting to fool the victim who usually ends up being someone that works for a company that the attackers are trying to compromise, trying to get into. And that's kind of a big shift just overall in intent of phishing these days. While we saw used to be more of a of a split, you're going to go after consumers, then you go after these this kind of data. You want to install a Bitcoin miner, you want to put up a, a credit card scammer, something like that. But if you go after a business, you want to be able to spread laterally. You want to maybe launch some ransomware. You want to do a lot of other different things. So everybody working from home kind of shifts the targets away from we're going to target business networks to we're going to target home networks with employees that work at these businesses or have connection to through a VPN or something else, and then use them as a, as a springboard to jump into the actual business network. So that's that's a lot of what we're seeing today with the phishing stuff and the more sophisticated stuff. The, the basic stuff, the easier things, lots of information stealers, lots of stuff stealing credit card or financial information, stealing passwords. I know that we've had a few blog posts and things that talk about certain families being distributed by these COVID-19 themed attacks and what their kind of overall purpose is. And yeah, at the end of the day, it really just seems to be there a lot of criminals who said, 
crap, I've invested so much into attacking businesses. Now I have to go back after consumers are either redirecting or repurposing their current tools or going back to the drawing board and using stuff that's like known, proven to be effective, like old remote access Trojans, information stealers, key loggers, things like that. Maybe updating them slightly, but overall, most of the, the big malware families we've been seeing distributed by these phishing attacks have not been brand new, super sophisticated malware families, but rather old ones we haven't actually seen for a while. John, let's talk about how do we protect ourselves from these threats where there is this shift? And it seems it's also happened so rapidly. David, thank you. I definitely agree with Adam. Criminals will take advantage of whatever trends are there. And the whole coronavirus, COVID-19 shelter-in-place situation is definitely one around there. I think one of the most important things that you can do, besides obviously having the right countermeasures in place, and we do have email security that helps filter out potentially malicious emails and things like that as part of our defenses, which a lot of it comes down to is education in your people. And so at Malwarebytes, we call our employees Malware Knots. And so all of our Malware Knots, you know, they are one of the best sources for defending against things. All it does take in a lot of cases is for someone to click on the wrong thing. So we invest a good deal on security training and awareness. We do look at things like anti-phishing and we're looking at what are the best campaigns to do around that so that people get a chance to see something simulated. But a lot of what we really do is try to arm our folks with the right information and tools. And obviously, another important part is to make sure that you've got endpoint protection on just in case something does make it through all those defenses. Like Adam mentioned, what we're seeing in the trends are things that like our own software can defend against if something gets to that point. I'd say beyond the corporate environment too, also because people are working from home a lot, it's important to make sure that you have those protections on personal computers. What's running on the kid's computer? And one of the things we do at Bytes is, of course, we use our own products and we have a program where people can run our consumer products on their non-work computers as well. Kind of the last thing around that is it's important where you can to segregate kind of what you're doing. So if you're working on work stuff, it's good to not only find a good location, if you can, inside your house to kind of separate out from what you're doing, but use your work computer because there are both countermeasures in place and then monitoring other things that we can do to look for any type of outbreak or other security issues. What you were saying, John, about educating employees and things like that, I like to say that employees are your strongest line of defense and also your weakest. It really depends. If you just see your employees as people who are making troubles for you and you're the IT admin or security admin, you have to realize these people are resources that you can utilize. You can give them some training and say, maybe you can recognize something that looks a little suspicious. And if that human is able to detect something that our automated systems can't, then you've already paid off the investment. So making sure you you empower these people and also give them the capability to report things to you easily is very valuable, I think. The more you can make it interesting and engaging, a lot of people complain about security and compliance training. A lot of times it's kind of check boxes mm-hmm. and it's not that interesting. Yeah. It's one of the areas that we've actually invested in internally. And so for those of you who know Malwarebytes, some, you know, we have a big sci-fi theme um, amongst other things. Our headquarters has a Star Wars theme throughout all the buildings. We try to kind of keep that in a virtual way and some of our training includes that. We do things like, hey, can you find all the aliens in this training? And then you'll get some extra, you know, internal bonus points if you can. And it seems to kind of help things be more interesting and interactive for for our folks. And Adam, 
exactly back to what you said before. We want people to participate in that conversation internally. Collectively, we're much more powerful than we are with you know just the small team focused on security. Absolutely. I wanted to move to something else that seems to never not be in the news, which is ransomware, right? But kind of more pertinently right now, just a couple of weeks into the pandemic, some threat actors promised to not target healthcare organizations, right? This sort of weird moment of honor among thieves, I guess. But that moment was quickly rebuffed after some of those exact same threat actors targeted healthcare organizations with ransomware. What can you folks tell us about current ransomware attacks? And again, just help us understand protection methods. Yeah, so the <laughs> that ransomware family, that was Maze ransomware. And Maze is, is very popular right now. They've started using tactics that we saw kind of being in development a few years ago, but haven't actually seen used in, in real life attacks until recently. But that is, that is the blackmailing. That's ransoming files. And instead of just saying, give us money or you're not getting your files back, they say, give us money or we'll release your files out on the internet. And then everybody can see whatever secrets you're hiding. And so I think that's a form of, of blackmailing. And we first saw this kind of functionality developed in the Chimera ransomware many years ago in Germany. But like I said, it never really went anywhere because at the time, ransomware was only really targeting consumers. You know, it was massive, massive amounts of ransomware just being distributed across the board, exploit kits, emails, all to users, not really businesses. That was, a, that was uncharted territory at the time. But over the last few years, we've seen ransomware focus more on businesses, moving away almost entirely from consumer attacks. Families that were consumer-focused, like GanCrab, had gone down, and we started seeing new families like Sodano Kibi, Ryuk, even Maze. These families that are more business-targeted because they know the return on investment is greater, and they know that the if, if they can get that initial foothold into the network, then you've they're very, very successful if they're able to do that. So yeah, when the COVID-19 stuff started, we saw May say, we're not going to go after health organizations because that's not the right thing to do right now. We're not about that. And then, yeah, like the next week, they, they went after Hammersmith, like medical testing facility or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But this place was supposed to be a testing site for some COVID-19 vaccines or whatever. So yeah, they went after they went after them. We have seen some families that have continued to say, we're not going after medical organizations. If we do ransom you and you are like a hospital or something, just let us know and we'll give you your files back. And some families have done this, not all of them. Hmm. And so, I mean, there are there is some honor among thieves, but it's not it's not rampant or the norm, that's for sure. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the activity we've seen recently from ransomware. What it tries more of the blackmailing stuff. We don't see ransomware distributed as the frontline payload anymore, whereas we used to see, like for instance, you encounter a website with an exploit kit. That exploit kit exploits some vulnerability in your browser. The browser launches the ransomware, and then a few minutes later, you're ransomed. What we see from the business side is where Emotet, TrickBot, some other family of intrusion malware will provide the initial infection spread out to as many systems as possible and then download and launch the ransomware on all these systems simultaneously. It's a far more effective method of ransoming a business. You know, if you just went and ransomed every single endpoint you encountered, it would be over very quickly and you wouldn't have much leverage as a ransomer because you haven't ransomed enough stuff. So that's that's kind of the direction we're seeing. And with a lot of these attacks that are going after home users to get to their corporate networks, to their VPNs and stuff, like I said before, we see a lot of information stealers, stuff stealing passwords, stuff stealing login 
efforts and credential sessions in some cases. So the goal is to try and get to these networks. And once they're able to establish some persistence, they'll likely launch ransomware again. John, has this showed up on our radar? You know, is this something that we are concerned about and moving proactively against? Malware is always a you know concern, especially <laughs> since we're a security product company. You know, we certainly don't want to see those instances for ourselves. I mean, I think a lot of this comes back to some basic hygiene and basic practices. And so making sure that you've got good up-to-date endpoint software running on all your endpoints. And that's not just your employee laptops and things like that. You need to make sure that you've got protection in your server infrastructure, whether that's sitting inside a data center or racks that you manage yourself directly, Mm -hmm. but also in cloud environments and things like that. Some important things, especially when it comes to ransomware, is making sure that you've got backups and that you've tested them because you can get around the, the ransom case if they've gone and locked all your files by restoring a backup. Now, if you don't detect that, you might go past your kind of your backup windows and things like that. So some of those fundamental things are important. And it's kind of hard, especially when there's so much going on with a shelter in case place. But I would definitely recommend that if you're on a security team, you talk with your IT operations folks to make sure that you know, you've tested backups. Because some of this is stuff that you need to do just with normal operations. So your computer breaks down. How do you get that computer fixed? How do you get it to the tech when everyone's remote? Also, then, how does someone protect protective? So, you know, we definitely make use of cloud services to store files. We've got our authorized sources of those files. And we're also making sure that there are ways to, to scan those repositories. But kind of back to the, the ransomware and other malware environments, it is, again, back to people's behaviors and making sure that they know how to protect themselves and that you've got your defenders, your blue team that are out there and making sure that there are protections in place for your infrastructure. I guess the last thing I'd say around this, and we might address this a little bit later on too, which is Adam mentioned about password sealers and things like that. As much as you can, you should use multi-factor authentication. And that's certainly something that we've implemented ourselves so that if someone steals the password, it's a lot harder for them to impersonate you, take over an account, other things like that. For listeners at home who may not know what multi-factor authentication is, can you just give us a brief overview? You know, How does it work? What is it? What does it help protect against? Sure, absolutely. And most folks are kind of up on the fact that you shouldn't reuse passwords. You want to pick long and strong passwords. Ideally, you want to use a password manager if you're not using some type of corporate single sign-on. You know, you want to have at least one or two passwords that are long, strong, and that you remember, and they let you into kind of all the different systems that you need access to. But that's really not enough these days. You need a second factor. So you either hear 2FA or MFA for second factor or two-factor authentication, or multi-factor authentication. And what practically that means, the best ones of these are, you may have an app on your mobile phone. And so when you go to log in, it sends off a message, and it pops up, and it says, hey, did you just try to log in from this location? And you click on a button that says yes. Those are the ones that are kind of most effective. There are other ones, and so again, future topic for things around people stealing, SIM swapping and stealing phones. A lot of cases, you might see that you get an SMS message. You might get this like from your bank or from your online streaming service. Those are less secure, but they are better than nothing at all. So some type of second factor, whether it's a message, a SMS text message to your phone, where you have to take a code that you get there and type it back into the web page, or some type of app that kind of behind the scenes is doing that synchronization to prove that it's you. These provide much better levels of authentication and protect 
against cases where someone may attempt to steal credentials and then get access or ransom systems. I wanted to move here to Wi-Fi vulnerabilities. Countless employees right now are accessing their company's cloud assets, you know, files, shared spreadsheets, expense platforms, by relying on their home internet and routers. And it's something, Adam, that you spoke about a little bit as well, that there's a lot of info stealers out there, things trying to take credentials. What are the dangers here? And I imagine they're really broad about connecting to home routers, home networks, but accessing sensitive company information. Yeah. So, I mean, personal routers have been a huge vulnerability for years. And because a lot of folks just fail to update their passwords or, you know, default credentials and stuff like that, they just leave it as is. And it makes it easy to to join the network. For instance, the, the IoT malware Mirai from 2016 was one that its primary method of infection, it wasn't exploiting anything. It had a, a default list, it had a list of default passwords for certain IoT devices, from routers to mm-hmm. thermostats and cameras and stuff. And so it, it all it had to do was just reference this and try the password. And if it worked, it got in and it worked incredibly well. And so we're kind of seeing the same thing happen from, from modern day or today's kind of malware families. Two, two ones in particular that stand out, Agent Tesla and Emitet. So Emitet, the way it's trying out a new method of spreading by scanning the network of the victim system they're on. So Emitet infects the system, and then it says, all right, who's all the, the wireless networks around the system? Who can I connect to? And if it finds one that's unsecured or using default passwords or something, it jumps onto that one and attempts to spread on that network. So very sophisticated. I don't think we've seen immense amounts of this particular functionality being used in the wild because so many other methods work just as well. But it is something they're experimenting with, and we have seen it the functionality built in some of the malware variants that, that have come out of the Emotet family. Asian Tesla does it very differently, and actually I really like how Asian Tesla does it. They infect the system, they gain administrative credentials, and then they use a Windows tool, NetSH, to pull up all the profiles saved on the system for wireless networks. So let's say that you go to the Hilton or something and you sign into their wireless network with your personal computer and you've got a password or whatever. That whole interaction, that that profile of that network and the password and, and where you connected from and all this other stuff is saved locally on the system so that you can easily connect to it later if you need to. And these profiles can be pulled down and extracted by this NetSH tool that is being used by the malware. So the malware grabs all the profiles it can, looks for ones that have passwords and credentials and stuff like that, puts them all into an email of all things and sends it back to the criminal. <laughs> yeah. And so then they have access that they know about all these networks now and they know that they have credentials for them as well. So they can store this in some sort of database or whatever. But yeah, I mean, the, at the end of the day, since we are all working from home or a lot of us are, and like I said before, you know, we're connected to the cloud, the VPNs, whatever, then gaining foothold on that endpoint on that that consumer endpoint is kind of the best shot that a lot of these actors have right now. This is probably going to change once we see more people back at work, more success with efforts of spreading through email or through traditional methods of infection, or we could just continue to see the development of this kind of technology. It, It may just be kind of a right now thing. And then two or three years from now, we'll actually see it perfected. Like we were, what we're seeing with what Maze Ransomware did with the whole blackmailing people. 
or it could become the default capability of a lot of different malware families. So we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, the overall goal is to gain persistence, gain access to a network, and then try and see what you can gather or get from there. I mean, that's that's just hacking 101, but kind of a, a high priority for malware these days. John, we're almost, I think we're all working from home right now. And so this is something that we know pretty intimately and, and we've had remote workers before shelter in place. Again, what are, what are we doing here to make sure that we're protected during this moment? That's a you know, really, really good topic for us to tackle. It's interesting because like many companies, especially technology companies, we have users of and employees of, of greater or lesser technical capability. Certainly folks in our Malwarebytes labs, researchers that have sophisticated home lab networks and, and different isolations and things like that. Personally, I'm kind of in the middle of that spectrum. So being relatively paranoid, I have a separate connection. And that's just one of the things that I picked up for our shelter in place. But, you know, it's interesting. So far, we've seen a couple different use cases around this. But part of this is we do have a VPN to access some corporate resources. Like most companies, a lot of the business that's conducted is on the cloud. So that doesn't provide all of the controls and protections you need in place. One of the things is definitely you want to make sure that you have those in place. And so whether it might be looking at things like CASB, making sure that you've got VPN protections, ideally a combination. So, you know, Malwarebytes released a privacy product here that allows you to kind of, from a consumer perspective, make sure you're uh, VPNing out and avoiding any type of items. But, you know, a lot of this comes down to, again, the basic blocking and tackling. So if you are running your home router network, make sure the firmware has been updated. Make sure that the administrative interfaces are not accessible on the internet side of your connection. You know, that you have to be on your local network to log into that admin one. In that case, even if it is still set to admin admin, if it is, please go change that. But you know, <laughs> someone from the internet can't just go and do it. You know, someone who's on your block and the cable modem can't do that as well. It gets interesting, as Adam called out, that if you do get some type of malware infection, it will look for those types of things. And at that point, it's kind of inside your network. So kind of fundamental things, which is where you can do segmentation. Some of even the consumer network gear allows you to kind of have private connections for different things. So maybe your kid's remote schooling is not going down kind of the same open network as your work one. Some of this may seem a little daunting, but I definitely think you know, there's some basic things that you can do. One of the most important things is just make sure that your computers are patched and updated. And the same for kind of your routers and other network equipment that you may need to manage today. It is an interesting shift. In the office, you have an IT team that usually takes care of all that for you. And the home environment, you got to do it yourself. It's funny that you were mentioning, you know, this simple step here, update, patch. These are not exciting steps, I think, for a lot of people, but they're so core and crucial. And it's it's something that where I used to work, I used to work at a digital rights nonprofit. And, and one of the kind of mantras that one of our consumer rights workers had was update your software is like the brushing your teeth of hygiene, right? It's not exciting. You're not going to feel like you're in a spy movie, like you're a big hacker, but it's going to protect you so much for such little output. You know, it's worth clicking. Yes, it's worth running the update. I was going to just kind of piggyback and also loop back around to something we had already discussed, but a lot of the malware we're seeing today getting pushed out by just in general are rats. And, and rats mm-hmm. have always been kind of a, 
simple thing to use. They, they make a lot of noise on the system. They make a lot of noise on the network. As bandwidth has increased, as file storage and processing capabilities have increased, it's, it creates less of a drag on the system. So one reason we didn't see a lot of rats being used all the time is because they're not stealthy. But it doesn't seem to matter anymore. And when we're going after, what, what, when the goal is we want to access the VPN or the cloud stuff or whatever of these users working from home, a rat is a perfect tool for that because you could have a general password stealer that would just, yeah, you log into some website or you log in to some application and maybe it steals the password from you, it sends it back. What's it going to do with that? But with a rat, you actually have remote access control you can see the desktop, you can grab all the processes, you can run a key logger, look at the webcam, monitor the microphone, all these other things. And it really does put more importance on the understanding and the need for multi-factor authentication, like John said before, as being kind of one of the only ways. If you are accessing your, your network tools and you're infected with a rat, you're not helping anybody. You know what I mean? You're putting yourself in a lot of danger. And if your organization doesn't have multi-factor authentication, then you just open the door for them, basically. I wanted to move to something a little different here, which is something that we also saw and covered on Malwarebytes Labs, which is that uh, our threat intelligence team discovered that there was a 26% increase in credit card skimming attacks in March alone. It's a real threat to online shopping, right? Which has itself probably dramatically increased with shelter in place. Can you folks tell us about credit card skimming as an attack that could potentially harm more than just the individual consumer? What is the threat here, perhaps even to a company? Yeah, so I mean, the, the threat to the consumer is obvious, getting their financial information stolen. The way these things work is basically that a website is compromised through various methods. And then a, a malicious script is kind of embedded on the payment form for that web store whatever it might be, just kind of floats over the actual payment web form. And so the user enters their information into that. It sends off the information back to the attacker. Usually users are like redirected to a different page that makes it look legitimate after the information has been stolen. But yeah, the, the main threat obviously is for the consumer. For a business that gets hit with this though, and you know, we saw Tupperware, the company Tupperware, their web store was hit by this kind of attack and they were compromised and they had a, a, a fake skimmer or a skimmer, you know, embedded on their payment page. And we tried to work with them as much as possible. I know that they were not as forthcoming as we would like. Sometimes we encounter that when we're working with vendors saying, hey, you're infected with something, you're distributing something. And they're like, what? You're whatever, go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, we have to deal with that, that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, this continues. The company itself is going to lose customers. They're going to lose reputation. They're going to lose sales because let's say I went to, you know, store XYZ.com and I said, I want to buy these sneakers that, and I want to buy them from this store. And so I, I go to the payment page and ends up, there's a skimmer there and I end up getting my information stolen and I find out about it. And I'm not going to go back to that store and be like, I'm going to buy these sneakers now. You're cleaned up, right? I'm going to go somewhere else, somewhere where they actually care about securing their web portal. So I think that just like with ransomware, just with like a lot of other malware attacks, that this can be devastating to a company's reputation. And while it may not be rampant enough to warrant new rules or requirements like what we have with businesses getting hit by ransomware, that may be a reality someday. And therefore, we'll see more and more of these companies having to announce, we've been compromised. Your information might have been compromised. We dropped the ball. Right. 
John, is this something that we're thinking about as well here? We sell a product on our webpage and it's a product that is supposed to protect people from these kinds of things. How does that intersect with, again with, with protection? Yeah, it's definitely from, from our side of it. We do security testing on things that we deploy. Bugs always happen. So you need to make sure that you have that in place. We also work with payment providers that are reputable and, and have that stuff as part of their environments. And we outsource a good deal of that credit card processing. You know, what's, what's interesting, though, and important, I think, for businesses of all sizes is, is to make sure that you've got the right levels of layered defense. So definitely, you want to make sure that you're doing security testing of your e-commerce and other other portals and things like that. You also want to make sure that you've got cyber insurance. Now, back to Adam's point there before, reputation is very hard to recover. And so the cyber insurance may cover you for small number of losses, but an incident like this could really impact you going forward with your business. So touch wood, the other thing that's important is to make sure that you've got a good response plan around items so that if your store is compromised, how do you go and deal with that? Make sure that you can meet any reporting requirements for consumer information that might be out there. The California CPA, which is a new law that came out just recently, is a, a trend that's growing. You see that state by state in the U.S. and then globally more things around protecting consumers' privacy and their information that's there that may lead to requirements for disclosure. I wanted to wrap up here and see if there were any possible takeaways, right? Top of line kind of information, top of line tips, even if that was possible, just for listeners to take with them. Yeah, Adam, do you have anything that you wanted to share? Yeah, I mean, right now, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of different efforts to to spread misinformation or to use it in order to spread malware or other types of threats. So I, I recommend just being very critical about where you get your sources of truth or information. You know, if you get an email saying, hey, click this and you'll learn about your area. Well, I'm sure you could find that same information on a local website for, you know, a local Mm -hmm. news website or a government website or something like that. Just be very cautious about what you run on your homes or whatever system you're working on. And when you're connected to certain networks and stuff like that, just be vigilant, be slightly maybe a little paranoid if you have to be but you know at the end of the day it's better to be a little paranoid than to to fall victim and be the cause of your organization's breach or whatever right yeah and john anything from you yeah i definitely echo adam's points there which is you know if you get a message in you know if it's something important you know go to the website directly you know if you get a message from your healthcare clinic go hopefully <laughs> to your password wallet where you've got your password safe where you've got a nice strong password associated with that and launch it directly or get on the phone and call them up. That's a good place to start with staying away from phishing and other attacks that may come in via email. Beyond that, it's back to some of the basic blocking and tackling. Don't reuse passwords. Make sure that you update your systems. Even on your home system, you know, use, if it's your corporate system, use whatever backup system they have. If they don't have that, it's pretty easy to purchase an external disk. Make sure that you encrypt that disk and back up your files. Yeah, simple stuff, I would say. And I hope listeners do take this and start acting on it when and if they can. Adam, John, I just wanted to thank you again so much for being on our show today. Thank you, David. It was great. Thank you, David. I really enjoyed it. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we talk to Matt Davey and Kyle Swank of 1Password discussing what else? Passwords what makes passwords strong, 
what's the best way to protect them, and will we ever see a day without them? <laughs>